Commonwealth this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside. How's your week been, mate? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Rob. Very good. Um, busy as usual, but uh, yeah, looking forward to the show, talking all things sport in Salford, mate. Yeah. It's always good fun talking sport on Salford City Radio. Also joined by James Sweeten and James, ready to tell us all about the world of sport in Salford and beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. And for the first time in a while, all three of us are back together. The band is back and I can't wait for the show. Oh, yes. The, the masses of Salford have been clambering, waiting for us three to get back together and talking about sport. And this is where it all begins. We're going to start with Rugby League and the Rugby League World Cup finished this weekend, Paul. Australia victorious, beating Samoa 30 points to 10. Talk us... I've not, I've not watched it. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> no, I, I, I've seen I've seen so many... I, I listened to it on the radio today, so I've not actually physically seen it with my eyes, but I, I did have it on the radio, and um, so I caught some of the highlights as if I was working it on Saturday. So, uh, so yeah, I, to be honest with you, I think Samoa have, have, have gave such a good account of themselves and have been a credit to the competition, because if you think at the start of the competition, they were beaten 60 points by, by England in the group game, and, you know, it, it's a short tournament, really, isn't it? And that sort of a defeat in a tournament, you would have thought they would have been you know, dead and buried, really, and uh, on the on the plane back home to Australia. But I think, you know, credit to the players and the coaching staff and the spirit there because they've obviously, you know, pulled the, the socks up and, and, and made amends for it and, you know, done terrifically well in that semi-final to beat England. And I thought it gave a good account of themselves in the final. I mean, they weren't absolutely battered. Let's have it right, Australia are an absolute quality quality sporting team not just a rugby league team you know they've been a force in in sort of rugby league the world leaders in rugby league for, for well over 40 years haven't they no one's really got anywhere near them so you know New Zealand maybe a couple of times but the kangaroos are, are a force and, and I, I thought Samoa you know did really well to, to stem the tide and uh, scored a couple of good tries themselves and weren't disgraced at all 30 points to uh, to 10, I think, you know, it was, a, it was a great effort from them and they've come out of the tournament as, you know, they've really enjoyed it, their supporters have really enjoyed it and I think they brought a lot to the tournament. Yeah, too big, too fast, too strong, too clever. That's what's Australia Rugby League. It's just, they're a different level to, to everyone else in the world and it's closing that gap. Uh, the women's also beat New Zealand 54 points to four. So both sexes, straight ahead of everyone else. Yeah, I think for me, you know, in, in sort of, my era of watching it, you know, since growing up in the 80s, watching the Australians against England and Great Britain, they've always sort of been very clinical, very, very composed, very professional and very proud of the, of the country they represent. And they won't give you an inch. They won't give you an inch. And I think it's their, their culture, really. They, they brought them to win and, you know, win at all costs. And it's a win at all costs mentality. And sometimes, I don't know, over in this country, I think, you know, local rivalries and a bit of parochialness seems to get in the way, doesn't it? You know, Wigan and St. Helens and they, you know, they have this sort of banter between clubs and we don't all seem to pull together internationally like they do in Australia. I mean, once they put on that green and gold, the club sides are forgotten about. It's, you know, it's do at all costs and win for your country. And perhaps we don't really have that here. Perhaps we don't have that international culture. I don't think we do anyway. I think a lot of our focus is on the Super League and, National, international rugby league takes a bit of a backward step and I think, you know, that hampers us sometimes. So, I mean, in this World Cup, I think we've really come together well. I thought we were doing tremendously well and it looked like we were going to get to that final, but, you know, credit to Samoa for beating us, but uh, but I think we've improved and it's just now about, you know, improving again and, and, and getting better for next season for international fixtures next year. But I think Australia, I mean, they are the blueprint for, for sport, Rob. I mean, 
you talk about rugby league, but you know cricket as well with the rugby union team. You know anything they turn their hands to, they they're good. I mean even football now they're getting better and better at football. So uh, so yeah, incredibly proud nation, Robin. You know they're they're the world leaders in it. Yeah, the success for England came in wheelchair rugby. England beat France twenty eight points to twenty four. Dramatic scenes on Friday night, Paul, as England claimed the world title was controversy over the French linesman uh, not being quite happy about the decision that was made but it's all chip, it's all fish and chip paper now and England are champions yeah yeah I did see see something um, you know I wasn't really watching I saw the game I wasn't really watching the the, the line uh, the touchwood lines or whatever you want to call him um but uh, but I believe so. I've seen some videos on social media. I mean, a bit of a character, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, take you know, going back to the game, and I think England have been a, you know they've been great, haven't they, in the wheelchair game in, in this tournament? And fantastic to to see them get over the line and get the winning. What was another pulsating game, um, and what an advert for for wheelchair rugby league. It really has taken off, and deservedly so. I think the, it's captured the hearts of um, of people in this country and, and around the world. I think you know it's become. You know, a really top sport. You know, and you know, people perhaps think, oh, it's slow. It's people in wheelchairs. It's disabled people and things. I won't be as good, but my my word, it's absolutely tremendous. The, you know, the how strong they are, the way they sort of knock the ball over, you know, for kicking the goal with a hand. I mean, there's a skill in that. It's absolutely fantastic. I, I was absolutely blown away by it by the skill level, the fitness levels and the way they just get bashed, the collisions and the way they're straight back out of the chair, they get lifted back in and carry on. I think it's been great. And um, I was talking to my dad over the weekend and he was saying it'd be great to see it in the Olympics, you know, become an Olympic sport. And um, and yeah, why not? I think it'd be really exciting that. But let's hope Salford can get a wheelchair team because I know it's being talked about at the moment, but I think it'd be great to see every town in the country have one because it's a fantastic sport and a sport that, you know, people can get, can get involved in. Yeah, away from the World Cup, Kevin Sinfield has, has done seven ultra marathons uh, to raise money for MND. He's raised £1.5 million. Uh, his former teammate, Rob Burrow, is, is suffering uh, from that. Uh, so it's great. He's obviously doing these things, not just to raise money for Rob, for everyone who's suffering uh, with that cruel disease. Yeah, I mean, I'm no lover of Leeds Rhinos, Rob, as you know. And uh, he, Kevin, Kevin spent his, his career there. But tell you what, as a person, uh, as a rugby player, he's a fantastic player. But as a person as well, I think Kevin Simfield is a really special guy. I mean, I've come, I've crossed paths with him a couple of times, seen him at work a few times when I've been working around Oldham. Um, I was out having a, a bite to eat with my sister a couple of months ago and I bumped into Kevin Simfield. And, you know, I never said anything to him, but he just sort of smiled and let on to me. And I said hi to him and I thought, what what a sort of a humble guy he is. He, he just seems a really nice fella, really down to earth fella. And, um, you know, I've never really had a big chat with him. I've said hi to him once or twice, but, you know, seems a really good guy. And, um, you know, you've you seen him getting emotional and what he's done there. And the way he talked about it, he was just running for his friend. And yeah, I think he's a, he's a great guy. He epitomises our sport of rugby league. There's so many good people in the sport. You know, if you think back to to God rest his soul, Steve Prescott, the amount of um, charity work that Steve did when he was really poorly, and we've got an awful lot of characters like that in, in rugby league. And uh, you know, it's 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 very proud for, for the sport. I think Kevin did a great job at weekend. Yep, the 2023 uh, fixtures are out for Salford Devils. Salford have announced yeah. a friendly with Wigan uh, at Wigan on the 5th of uh, February. It'll be very good, obviously, you know, for Paul Rowles to get a run out for his players, you know, that close to the season starting. 
Yeah, I think it's Sam Powell's testimonial. I didn't realise Sam had been playing that long, but uh, but yeah, that'll be a good test away from home at Wigan. It's a it's a tough place to go, and I think Wigan have got a point to prove this season, haven't they? I know they won the Challenge Cup last year, but come short in, in the league, so they'll be after what after doing doing well. So that's a that's a good test for us to to go there, and um, you know we've made some good signings now. We've started to put a good squad together, and um, yeah, it's going to be exciting times. The fixtures are out, as you said, and. The seasons won't be long now. The players are back in pre-season training as well. So, um, so yeah, a good test at Wigan. And that's what you want. I think you want to go through the pre-season and, and pre-season and test yourself against a good opposition and make sure you're right for that opening day uh, kickoff at Lee Centurions because that's going to uh, sorry Lee Leopards. Sorry, they're not going to Centurions anymore. Are they? Lee Leopards on the opening uh, night of the season because that's going to be a big night. Yeah, talking about players coming and going, Sitaleka Akawala has left Salford. He will join Toulouse Olympique. Uh, you know, he was okay at Salford, obviously, you know, hampered by injury a little bit. Um, but we wish him well on his uh, next uh, adventure in France. Yeah, nice guys, Sitaleka. And probably didn't get as much game time as Salford as he would have liked. Um and he's made the made the move to Toulouse now, so uh, I'm sure he'll do well for Toulouse. He's a big, big, strong lad, and as you said, suffered with a few injuries as well. So sometimes it doesn't always work out for a player. But glad he's moved on and and, and found another club and can continue his career because he's still got a lot to offer. Yeah, coming in for Salford, Ellis Longstaff on loan from Warrington, one-year deal. Uh, good player. We've played him a couple of times. We've played for Warrington a couple of times against Salford in the last few years. And he looks like the kind of player that, you know, you could be looking at a future international. He plays for England Knights now. So for him to be at Salford, you know, for on loan this year, will give us opportunity to see him. And hopefully, if he decides to stay on, and we're able to offer him a contract uh, to develop his career further. Yeah, Warrington seem a bit of a strange club, don't they? I mean, the, Harvey Lavette, I thought, was a cracking player and he left Warrington. They didn't seem to fit in there and, and, and we went to all car and then we got him. And and Ellis Longstaff, from what I've heard from Warrington supporters, they're absolutely bemused at why they've let him go on loan because he's they said he's a really good player. And I spoke to him, a supporter of Hull recently and he was on loan at Hull last season. He said he's a cracking player, so... I know the Warrington Speckies aren't happy about that, so but their loss is, is our gain. So um, it sounds like we're getting a really good player. I've not seen a lot of him, but when I have seen him, I've been impressed with him. He's a, he's a good uh, a good youngster and uh, you know a player that's got quite a bit of Super League experience under his belt already. So I think you're not just getting a young kid who's wet behind the ears there. You're getting somebody who's, who's quite a season to play in Super League rugby, strong lad, young lad, fast. You know, good, good in the back row as well. So, uh, yeah, I think I think he'll feature a lot for us next season. I don't think he's coming as a bit power player. No. Uh, let's talk about Swinton Lions. They have a dual registration now with St Helens. St Helens champions of the Super League will be great for Swinton to be able to get the settling youngsters and blood them. Um, and, and that's great for the club, obviously, because they're playing at a higher level now. They'll need uh, better players. So, it's great they've got this little link-up going. Yeah, it certainly is, and um, you know the, the benchmark of, of teams in this country, aren't they? So it's good for Swinton as well, and I think they've had link-ups before, haven't they? With Jew Reg with, with Super League sides, I'm, I'm pretty sure they had one with Warrington a number of years ago. So it helps. It certainly helps the uh, the, the Championship team and, and League One teams who might be struggling for players sometimes, and and it also helps St. Helens as well because they can blood their their players. I know you've got reserve teams and academies and what have you, but there's probably nothing like playing. You know, especially championship as well, which is a really good level. 
you'll be playing some big sides in there. So for the likes of the Saints, you to be playing against teams like Halifax and Featherstone. That's going to give them a good grounding uh, to lose uh, as well are in that league, aren't they? London Broncos. So there's some good sides in there. So that's going to benefit both both parties, really. So a good link up for Swinton. And, and I think it'll definitely help Swinton because it's going to be a tough league for them in the Championship. Yeah, and obviously season tickets are available for both Sofred Devils and Swint Lions. If obviously you're a supporter listening to this, it's an opportunity to get involved, purchase your season ticket, put money into both clubs uh, and help them both grow, Paul. That's important, obviously, with the World Cup uh, just gone. Uh, both clubs need to take advantage of the uh, hype around it. Yeah, they certainly do. They certainly do. And as I said before, the season over here sooner rather than later, won't it? And um, I'm really looking forward to it. And yeah, if you can get to, to Swinton and get your season ticket for them, if you follow them or, or Salford, you know, I'm, I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Both sides had, had really good uh, good seasons last year, not, not just in the men's, but in the, the ladies as well. So uh, both both doing really well off the field so it should be a really good season and yeah I, th- I think both sides can uh, can can do the business this year yeah so that's all the rugby chat and now we're going to be talking to boxing with James and Paul well there's a lot to talk about in the world of boxing this week Paul and firstly let's kick it off with the two mega cars that are going down we complain about this constantly but there is a clash on Saturday night you've got Frank Warren at the O2 Arena on BT Sport you've got Eddie Hearn Matchroom on zone at the Wembley Arena. So two cars not only clashing, but clashing in London. So that gives fans the difficult choice of which show they want to go to. But before we look at the Queensbury promotion, let's take a look what Hearn's putting on. He's got a good card top to bottom. And before we analyse that undercard, the main event, Dillian White taking on unbeaten American contender Jermaine Franklin. We don't know too much about the American, but coming off that loss, to Tyson Fury, why is as vulnerable as he ever has been, and it's a great opportunity for somebody to try and take his scalp. Yeah, it certainly is, and it'd be good to see Dylan White back in the ring again. Um, he's a fighter that never really lets you down, does he? He's, he's good to watch. He's exciting. He's explosive, and uh, and yeah, this is a bit of a banana skin for him as well. And he's at that point in his career now where he can't afford any slip up. So, uh, so yeah, for his uh, for the contender coming over who we don't know a lot about, this could be a, a chance for him to um, you know announce himself on on the world stage, particularly across across the water from America as well. So he's got. Um, He's got the hallmarks of a a really exciting fight. At this stage, what does a victory over Dillian White mean? Um, I think it propels the the fighter up there, to be honest with you. I think Dillian White's one of the best in this country. Um, All right, he might be on the way down at the moment. He's had a couple of losses, but I still think he's a big scalp. I think he's a very big scalp on British soil, and to beat him away from home, I think you you have to be switched on to do that. He's He's no mug. There's certainly no mug about uh, Dillian White, so uh, so yeah, I think to get a victory over him that that propels you up there, you know, into contention, world contention, definitely. So um, so yeah, he's 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 got a big target there in front of him. You most certainly do. I mean, despite his recent losses, he's still one of the biggest names in the British game. He's got a lot to offer if he gets this victory, which Matchroom are assuming he does. He's looking towards big fights. The Anthony Joshua rematch is one that a lot of people want to see. He's still calling out Deontay Wilder, Joe Joyce, etc. Do you think White still has the minerals to compete at the top of the sport? Yeah, I think so. I think he's still got it. I think 
he's still got that hunger, he's still got that desire and once you've still got that and you've got your your body as well, you, you're still a dangerous fighter. There's no doubt about that. You know, once he, he starts to slow down and you start knocking on a bit, then it's time to start looking. But at the moment, he, as long as you've got that, I, I think he's still, he's still up there, definitely. I mean, you mentioned before about him being um, one of the top British fighters. I think so. I mean, I'd have him, in my pecking order, I'd have him ahead of Derek Chisora. And Derek Chisora's got a massive fight coming up. And I think Dylan White would have been better in that fight than him. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's how you, you, you sort of judge fighters. But I think Dylan White's a tough, a very tough man. And I'd like to see him fight Anthony Joshua again. I think he'd give Anthony Joshua a lot of trouble. He did the first time, so I think he would the second time. I think he's got a vulnerability about him. Um, he seems to to switch off in fights sometimes and can lack a bit of concentration. He can get tagged and get caught, but there's no doubt about it. He's, he's good to watch. He's entertaining to watch. And um, he's always a fighter to me that's, that's in contention to, to do the business. He just seems to fall short. But uh, no, I think he's still still got a chance. And having a look at the co-main event, there's a cracking heavyweight collision. You've got Fabio Wardley, who's on the way up, recorded a few decent wins against Nathan Gorman, an interesting fight for the English title. And a lot of people are seemingly making Wardley a big favourite in this. But I'd like to remind them, at one point, Nathan Gorman looked like he could do some serious damage in the heavyweight division. I mean, I know he got flatlined, but... When he was scheduled to fight Daniel Dubois, at the time, people had that down as a 50-50. Do you think people are writing Nathan Gorn a bit too quickly off on this one? Yeah, Wardley's got a good record. There's no doubt about that. But it's about level sometimes, isn't it? And Gorman's going to be a good level. Um, he's. You look at Nathan Gorman and he doesn't really look like a boxer. And when you listen to him, he doesn't really sound like one, does he? But he's, um, he's a local guy. He's, um, is, he cousin, is he cousin of Fury? I'm sure he's... Is he Fury's cousin or some sort of relationship? He is Fury's cousin, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I thought he was. So he comes from good stock, doesn't he? He's been around the, the sport and been around the gyms and, and knows the business. And when I've seen him fight, he's dangerous. He really is a dangerous fighter and he's very, very heavy-handed as well. So so perhaps making him a rank outsider and this is, you know, you know, write him off at your peril because I think he'll come to he'll come to box, he'll come to fight and he's, he's not a man that'll take a backward step either. He'll go out on his sword, he'll go out all guns blazing. So uh, that should be a very, very intriguing contest. It should be Paul, and you sway him one way or the other. Um, I think Wardley's a big favourite. I, I, I do. He, he's a knockout merchant, isn't he? But you know what? I, I like the local fighters, and I know Gorman's sort of around this way, isn't he? Northwich, I think he's over that way. He's from. So I'll go with the I'll go with the local guy to to cause an upset. And then looking further down the bill, we've got Craig the Spider Richards taking on Richard Balotnicks, and after his performance against Dimitri Bivol. A couple of years ago, he produced a great show in Richards that night. He didn't quite get the job done. Bivol was a shade too classy for him, but he definitely pushed the Russian. Since then, Bivol has beat Canelo. He's just beat Gilberto Ramirez, who was 44-0, in pretty much a shutout performance. So now people are looking back at that Richards performance and thinking, maybe we've underestimated this bloke. Do you think he's been underestimated, Paul? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, I think so. He's a, he's a decent fight, but sometimes you can look back sort of retrospectively, can't you? And the opponent, Bibble, who he fought then, has probably improved, hasn't he? 
And and sometimes it's it's unfair to look back like that, thinking, oh, I did great against him because he's moved on and fought such and such and, and beat him. So you can't always look too far ahead and you can't always look too far back, I don't think, in boxing. You're only as good as, as your last fight, aren't you, as they say. So, uh, But no, Richard is a good fighter. And um, and yeah, I think he's, he's another one that's still probably got a bit to do. He's still got a lot to prove. He's got potential. But uh, you've got to earn that in the ring and get the results. You most certainly have. And now both men who need a result on Saturday night. We're going to take a look at the BT card. John Ryder, Zach Parker. Now we know what level Ryder's at. He's fringe world level. He's beaten some great fighters over the past few years. Many thinking he was very unlucky not to claim the world titles when he fought Callum Smith. I think you're included in that, Paul. But he's taken on Zach Parker, somebody who's been heavily promoted by Warren, a fighter who clearly has a lot of power. What are you making of this fight? Um, I, I don't know. I think with John Ryder, yeah, I, I believe he beat um, Callum Smith. I remember watching that fight and I thought it was a very poor decision. I think he put an awful lot into that camp and he's been fairly quiet since then, though, and, and he'd been sort of inactive. And sometimes a fighter, he needs that to keep going and keep that momentum. And when you, you shut off, sometimes it's hard to you come back in and you can look rusty and, and take it a bit to get going again. So I hope that's not the case for him. Um, but Parker's a dangerous fighter, and this is this got the hallmarks of a, of a of a big big fight. I mean, you know, Ryder's a real warrior, isn't he? And he's he's somebody that will keep going. He's got a fantastic engine, and he's got a big chin as well. He can take a shot. There's no doubt about that. Anybody that can go in and rough, you know, someone like Callum Smith up, and and he did rough Callum Smith up that night. He knocked him off his game, and uh, you know, Callum's a, a classy operator, and, and John Ryder did a job on him, and obviously didn't get the result. But you know, John's a good fighter. But you know, against Parker. It'll be a tough test for John. It most certainly will. I mean, it's one that we're all looking forward to. And there's an added bit of jeopardy in this, Paul. Uh, Canelo Alvarez, he's targeting Dimitri Bivol, that rematch, this time next year. But he wants to tune up in May. The winner of this contest will become the WBO interim world champion, making them the mandatory for Canelo. And that's a massive payday secured if they can get a win here. Oh, it certainly is. Yeah, you're talking like super fights now, aren't you? You're talking against Canelo and the the, the purse that's going to come with that, and the, the pay per view and the television and and everything else. So yeah, it's a it's a huge fight that. So, uh, so yeah, not one to be sneezed at. So there's a there's a big uh, a big bounty on the line there, if you like, in that fight. The most certainly is. And sticking with the BT theme. On Friday, we saw Liam Davis beat Aono Baluta for the European title. And Anthony Yor picked up a victory against a 13-0 opponent. That wasn't the talking point, though. It's the fact that's coming next that everybody's talking about. He secured Arta Baturbiev at Wembley Arena in January. A home opportunity. He gets a pound-for-pound great fight. Baturbiev, a monstrous puncher. The only world champion in the sport right now with a 100% KO ratio. Many are saying Anthony Yard has bit off too much than he can chew. But Paterbiev, 37 years old, he isn't in the peak of his powers. There's a chance here for Yard, but there's no denying this is an absolutely monstrous ask. Yeah, but I think that's what you're going to sport for sometimes especially boxing, you don't go in there to make the numbers up there if you're an ambitious fighter and you want to do well. And You look at Yard's record, he's got a good knockout record. Um, he's no mug. And um, yeah, this this is this is what he wants now. And you're going into the lion's den, you're coming into a, a massive fight. And fights like this become more than a fight for me. They become a mission. 
Um, and, and he'll be switched on as soon as that fight is announced and he knows about that fight. You're you're in that gym, you're in that gym every day or every you know maybe six days a week, and that's all you can think about. So it's not just a fight; it is a mission. You're tuned in for that, and he'll live, breathe, and, and sleep that fight. And um, and that's what you're in it for. You know, it's a short career boxing, and it soon flashes before fighters. And you know, there've been many fighters who've retired and thought, oh, God, I wish I could go back for you know one more training camp and, and one more opponent. This is his chance now. It's his time. And um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm sure they buzz off that. You know, the, the, the more difficult the fight is, the more difficult the camp is. You know, champion boxers and boxers who want to get to the top will absolutely buzz off that and, and, and live and breathe it, and I'm sure he will. They do, and a fighter who, like you just mentioned, has seen his career flash before his eyes is Haseem Ratman Jr. He compiled a 12-0 record after a successful amateur career fighting journeyman. He then loses his first step up. He's meant to get in with Jake Paul, which is... A humongous opportunity for somebody who's boxed their entire life to make a massive payday off the back of somebody who's only recently gone into the sport. But he failed to make weight. That fight didn't happen. He then gets a big opportunity on another YouTube card against a former UFC fighter. He pulls out due to COVID. That leaves Haseem Ratman taking on Greg Hardy, another ex-UFC star, but a man who on the night had a 92-pound weight advantage over him. And despite his limited boxing experience, he knocked Ratman down twice to pick up the decision victory in a four-round fight. I mean, where does Ratman go from here? Because there was a lot of hype when he turned pro off the back of what his father had achieved. And, and as of right now, aside from journeyman, he's not actually beating anybody. No, but as you said there, the weight difference there, was it 92 pound? It's uh, that, That's a big difference. Um it's difficult there. It's, it's, it's a difficult one for him. Where do you, you go now? I mean, to give him the benefit of the doubt, he sounds like he's had a bit a bit of hard luck there, you know, the opponent pulling out with, with illness. But I think, you know, you mentioned they didn't make the weight. So, you know, if you're a boxer, you've got to be disciplined. You've got to make that weight. I mean, I, I find it hard when I hear stories about boxers not making weight. We saw Chris Eubank Jr., didn't we? I mean, I know that fight didn't happen, but trying to get down to the weight for for uh, Conor Benny looked absolutely drained, and, and it's tough on, on people's bodies. But I think sometimes there's fighters there who've not took fights serious. I mean, go back to, to Paul Smith, a, a fight he had, I think it was against Andre Ward, he didn't make the weight. And, you know, you get this opportunity sometimes, you know, to fight, and, and, and you've got to be disciplined. You've got to make that weight. You know in your camp you're going to have to do it what sacrifice you've got to make and I think some fighters sometimes take it a bit too lightly and, and don't put in what they've got to put in so so where does he go from here it's a good question um, is he going to get another big fight is he going to you know go off the radar I don't know time will tell it most certainly will and time will tell who the best lightweight in the world is Paul because after years of waiting We've had such a difficult few months as boxing fans. Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua fell through. Terence Crawford versus Errol Spence fell through. But we've finally got a big one. Javonta Davis and Ryan Garcia have signed contracts to face each other in April. We've not got a specific date yet, but this is the big fight that fans have been asking for. Yeah, and it's um, it's going to be a good one as well. I've seen quite a lot of Garcia training recently and... Uh, He's a special fighter really when you watch him train and he really is quick and and yeah, you know, both of them are um, are operating at a fantastic level. And these are the sort of fights you want to see when you've got two two fellas like that going toe to toe against each other and where there's the real fifty fifties, aren't they? And you know, you, you can see it 
going all the way and being a shootout. I don't, I don't know whether it will do. I don't know whether this one will be a, a pointer for me. I think it'll be a very technical fight, and whoever can you know make the least mistakes in it, will 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 take it on points. But uh, but no, you've got two fighters there who who are at an elite level, and and it's rare we get that these days. Things happen, don't it? We get these fights that are announced and and they worry with our appetites and then sometimes they like you mentioned that before they fall through they get called off or there's drugs involved or something or someone fails a drug test and it, it's disappointing but this one is one that we can all look forward to it most certainly is paul it's a great fight and before i'll let you go i've got a bit of a bizarre one it is november 20th we're getting to that sort of time of year where those chime bells start ringing and people start talking about Christmas and the trees go up. So to set you off on the right toe, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield have joined forces to create festive ear-shaped cannabis edibles together. A bizarre story, and I suppose it's good to see the pair making money, but quite a bizarre way of going about doing so. Oh, yeah, very strange. <laughs> I've not heard of that one. Um, yeah, that that's a, a strange story, that James. But yeah, nice to see them both getting on with each other. But while we're on about Mike Tyson, I don't know if you've heard of the Mike Tyson uh, press up, which uh, I, I saw somebody doing a challenge on on the internet where you've got to do. I think the record is two hundred and ten minutes. Um, I've been having a go at it, and I can do about twenty five in five minutes. So uh, it's a very tough press up. So Google it, the Mike Tyson press up, because it is very very difficult. Well, I'll give it a go, Paul. I think on behalf of all our sports own listeners, that's something we should all do in January to burn off uh, all those pigs in blankets. <laughs> yeah, and all but, uh, those mince pies. <laughs> all those mince pies. Getting burned off. But, <laughs> Definitely, mate. So on that piece of advice, we'll move on to the world of football and hopefully these England players will be taking up that challenge as well because we're wanting to see a successful World Cup after having our hearts broken in the last two coming so close to World Championship glory a few years ago and then losing in the semi-finals to Croatia to losing in the finals of the European Championships to Italy. Rob, we're recording this on Sunday, so the Iran game will have already happened. But looking ahead to this United States or America game, assuming we win that Iran game, what are you expecting to see? We've got to we've got to see a win, haven't we, James? Obviously, Gareth Southgate and he, and his players are in a bit of the fishbowl, aren't they? When it comes to this World Cup, you know, expectations are high after the last uh, couple of successes in, in the last couple of tournaments. So, you know, we're expecting wins, we're expecting progression, we're expecting qualification, and then on to quarterfinals, semi-finals, and and then possibly finals. But it is going to be difficult. The the, the you know the history, the conditions, uh, but we've got world-class players in this squad, uh, James, that play in a good system. So you're just kind of hoping uh, that they can so find a way uh, to win and, and progress every week. What do you think? We've had some bad form of late, haven't we? I mean, there was a loss to Hungary and we've not done so well. But I still think Southgate has gotten the minerals to get us through. I mean, people are forgetting just how well he's done. And despite a poor run of form, I'm expecting big things from him. And somebody else who's expecting big things is Robbie Savage, because I spoke to him not so long ago the former Blackburn and Derby legend. And he told me that he expects England to put in a real good run for this. And he also explained to me an initiative he's running with Proud to Pitch In about the stuff he's doing for grassroots football. So we've got that interview coming up and it's excellent to see what he had to say. (laughs) 
so Robbie I'm sure all our listeners will be exceptionally excited to hear about all your opinions on the World Cup but first it's important to kick off with everything you're doing around grassroots football can you tell us a little bit about your proud to pitch in ambassador role yeah so Green King um, came to me with the proud to pitch in campaign um, because what they're doing is they're They've offered grants out um, to grassroots clubs, um, you know, up to £3,000, which um, 19,000 beneficiaries already have have, have used it. Um, On this occasion, it's a £10,000 one-off grant to any grassroots club, you know, whether, you know, that's football, rugby, whatever. We've got, um, you know, an example of Zumbarets who are, who are taking up of of the the, the grants? Um, so it just doesn't have to be, you know, football. It can be be anything. And I just think that this um, campaign um, allows grassroots clubs um, to, especially in the in the current you know cost of living crisis, petrol prices, you know, energy prices, you know, to you know access this fund to to enable them to improve their facilities, match kit you know, whatever they utilise the fund for. And I just think the Green King, you know, people can help if they go into a Green King pub and buy a pint of Green King IPA, 10 pence of that goes to the fund. So it's it's a great initiative. Um, it's a positive initiative, which which enables grassroots clubs to, to have support. I mean, it is so important because we often forget about the grassroots game when we think of the glamour of the World Cup, the glamour of the European Championships and the Premier League. But without the grassroots game, none of this would be possible. No, it isn't. And, you know, I came through grassroots. My two sons came through grassroots. Um, So it is invaluable to, you know, for people, not just in terms of um, the physical aspects, but the mental side of you know, of getting out in that fresh air, meeting new friends, building friendships. So I think it's it's invaluable to, you know, long-lasting friendships as well. You know, when I, you know, um, played at grassroots level, you know, I've still got the friends now. So um, it is, yeah, it's, it's a great initiative. I mean, only 6% of clubs receive enough funding for their training facilities, pitch maintenance and stuff like that. And hopefully this initiative can change all of that. Yeah, undoubtedly, because we, I've seen, you know, first-hand experience of when Macclesfield have gone to, you know, to grounds, um, you know, the damage caused, you know, whether it's, you know, um, ripping seats out, you know, motorbikes on pitches, break-ins um, to, to, to the equipment room. So, again, as, as you rightly say, it's, you know, every single penny that um, Green King are generating towards facilities or whatever it may be is is invaluable. I mean, the Lionesses had so much success over the summer. They've inspired a new generation coming through. Approximately 30% of new girls are taking up the sport. And it's integral now that the grassroots football continues to develop because we've got a completely new wave of people coming through and we're dealing with a new market. Yeah, um, I've seen that firsthand at Macclesfield where, you know, our, our girls' academy has gone from 30 to 130 and our, our women's first team, you know, we're getting 15 to 20 fans in through the door last season. They're now, you know, averaging nearly 200. Um, so, again, the the uptake in participation has gone up, as you say, by 30%, um, which is which is fantastic. And, again, role models have been created. Um, Ella Toon being a great example. That, you know, one of our first-team players um, is is the boyfriend of Ella. 
Um, and when she comes in to watch us, you know, the amount of photos she has with, you know, all generations of families, boys and girls is, is fantastic to see. I can imagine it is because in this game we've got now, there's football at so many different levels. You've got these women bringing in a new market. You've got lads who've been doing it their entire lives, not like yourself who've made it to the highest echelons, but people who enjoy just playing a game on a Sunday, Sunday league football, a kickabout with their friends. But a lot of them are giving up now amid the cost of living crisis. We're living in a very difficult climate and hopefully all this will change that. And these people who enjoy the physical and mental benefits, you say, of going out and kicking a ball around, they continue to do so. Yeah, when we talk about grassroots sports, we're not, you know, we're not just talking about, you know, youngsters. We're talking about um, walking football. You know, this this grant is is accessible to, you know, for walking football teams as well. We have that in Macclesfield as well, where, you know, a friend of mine who who commentates with me, Ian Dark, he plays walking football, and he said the the mental benefits as well. You know, really, really helps. So this. You know, this campaign, Proud to Pitch In, is, is for all. It's not just for, you know, um, when people think about grassroots, they automatically think about youngsters. And But, you know, obviously this, this Proud to Pitch In campaign is obviously for over 18s because of, you know, the, you know it's alcohol and um, it can be, you know, accessed from, as you say, you know, lots and lots of different um, clubs, whether it's cricket, rugby, all football and you know, as I've said, you know, the walking football is now massive, massive participation in, in walking football. Have you ever tried it? I've personally never tried walking football, it's, but I'm sure it, uh, when, I, when I get older, I'll be more than willing to give it a go. It's difficult. It's difficult because you just, you just want to run. <laughs> Have you found yourself adapting to the walking football game, Robbie? You're not quite yeah, ready yet. Oh, to be fair, a lot, years, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people said I've I, I done that when I actually did play. Um, but... <laughs> You know, for me, I just want to start running and, and smash somebody in a tackle. But you can't, you can't get that momentum um, to, to to go and smash somebody. So it's not really for me. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a lot of players like yourself, maybe Paul Scholes and players of that ilk, can really get stuck in my struggle. Maybe yeah. Dimitar Berbatov or somebody like that might excel at walking. <laughs> But anyway, moving on now to the World Cup, which of course wouldn't be happening without schemes like this and keeping the grassroots uh, route going. However, England versus Wales, it's probably the best place to start off. They're both kicking off their campaigns against the USA and Iran, respectively. We're expecting them both to pick up wins there. Then they'll be taking on each other. How do you foresee that game going? Well, England will start favourites, undoubtedly, because you look at the 26-man squad Gareth Southgate has chosen. I think um, if he has his first 11, um, the, the remaining 15, he could create a team out of that to beat Wales. There's no doubt about that. The pool of players they have to choose from is exceptional. Um, world-class players. And you look at Wales, um, you know, six years ago at the Euros when we got to the semi-final, top the group, we had players playing probably at the pinnacle of their of their of their careers. And now six years on, you know, players have played less football, picked up more injuries. So we're going into a tournament where players probably haven't played as much football as they would they would have liked. But when you've got Michael Sheen with speeches like he's doing behind us, when you've got the camaraderie, the togetherness, the unity within a squad, um, when they pull on that red shirt and Gareth Bear and Ramsey have superpowers, you know, it's it's we'll have a chance. We'll have a chance. Um, but you know, you talk about the first game. I I wouldn't say, you know, in the rankings, Iran are one place behind Wales, USA, and England are above us. So 
it's a difficult, difficult group. And I think people will be looking at Wales and going back to that Euros and thinking, is it the same Wales team? It's it's probably the majority of the same players, but in terms of game time and where they are in their careers, it's a slightly different squad. So I think it will be difficult to get out of the group. Um, but when Wales play England, England, you know, anything can happen. It most certainly can because there's so much rivalry there. As you mentioned, that European Championships, I remember about the time Gareth Bale was hitting the headlines for his comments about wanting to beat England, putting a bit of needle in there and everybody likes to see it. We see it so often in boxing, in sports like that, but football, it's great when we see those rivalries and players who are so passionate and really want to get the job done. Six years removed from that, is the fire still burned for Wales just as much as it was then? Yeah, of course it is. And listen, I, I've, I'm sure we've seen the celebrations on, on, on social media when, you know, was it England lost to Iceland, I think it was. And, you know, I thought there will be a, lots of rivalry there. I think Gareth Bale can show the England lads this, this four or five Champions League medals. So I think we'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned there that Iceland game, a particularly painful day for me. I imagine a particularly joyful day for yourself. But England obviously losing that one. We've got teams in the group, Iran, USA. Do you think either of them can spring upsets over Wales and England? I think Iran have got some good players. I think USA have got lots of players who play in Europe. Um, so I think it's going to be difficult. I really do. I think England will be fine. Although, you know, after that Iceland defeat, anything is possible. But, you know, I think if Wales don't um, do well in it, I'd love to see England, you know, um, go far because again representing the Premier League it's it's the best league in the world I have friends who who play in, in, the, in the squad so you know I'd love to see and Gareth Southgate listen whether he's picked the right squad or not he's a he's a he's a he's a, he's a nice guy a humble guy and it would be nice you know because they've had lots of criticism going into the tournament you know the, the 4-0 defeat against Hungary you know, the way they've played. So they're not going into the tournament with great form. I know they got a 3-3 draw um, against Germany, but um, I think minimum requirement for this Gareth Southgate group is semi-finals. I think anything else other than that for England will be seen as a failure. When we look at England over the past few years, Gareth Southgate, he's done an excellent job getting us to a semi-final and a final respectively. Ultimately, we lost that penalty shootout to Italy, but there was still a lot to take from that. However, in the build-up to this competition, we've been struggling. So is that just a bump in the road or is this something we need to be seriously worried about? Well, you know, on 6 or 6, I do with Chris Sutton, there was a big debate. I think that England will never have a better chance of winning a major tournament. You know, most of the games were at home um, in that Euros. Um, the final was at home. Um an Italy side who haven't qualified for this World Cup. Um, probably one of the best squads at England's disposal yet. Um, they didn't win it. So I think that was an amazing opportunity missed. Um, you know, you've we've now seen the success of the Lionesses who did win it um, and role models created. So I think that this occasion, the form's not being good, but you look at the quality of player they have. You look at the success of Premier League teams in in the Champions League. That this group is more than capable of 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 winning it. It's how they're guided and how they play under pressure. I know the media will be, you know, all over it and the, the negativity that comes with an England defeat. You know, I, I experienced that on on 
on Fornins, I do. So the pressure's on England. Um, but again, I think they've got a group who can go far in the tournament. That Lionesses victory, as you mentioned, does that give them inspiration or does it pile on the pressure? I think it will give them inspiration, no doubt about it. I think um, the role models created within that England group, you know, we're seeing, you know, Ella Toon, we see, you know, Jill Scott, who's currently in the jungle, you know, um, how well they've done, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, Gareth Southgate and the group can take inspiration from the success and the way the nation got behind them. So it's going to be a fascinating watch. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but um, it's going to be a difficult group for Wales, I think. I suppose the only question now that makes sense to ask you, if I was just going to give you an option of giving me one name, who would you hit me with? To win it. To win it, yeah. Brazil. Interesting pick. And the last question today, Robbie, thank you for giving some time with me. It's been an absolute pleasure talking the World Cup, everything you're doing with Proud to Pitch and a bit of walking football as well with Paul Scholes and Dimitar Berbatov. But the main question I want to ask you, your son, he's doing so well at the moment with Manchester United, with Wales in the under-21s. Is he looking at this tournament right now and thinking, in four years' time, I could be there? Yeah, listen, of course, he's looking at, of course he is. There's no doubt about that because we talk about role models. You know, he'll be watching this on the TV. Robert Page spoke to him last week um, to tell him how well he was doing, which is great. Um, I think, you know, a low move for Charlie in January would be fantastic um, to go and see what it's like playing in front of big crowds on a weekly basis. Um, but again, he'll be watching that and he'll be like a sponge soaking it all in, watching it, watching how you know, what he's done at Manchester United, watching how players act, watching how they are on and off the pitch. Um, he's been with the first team in pre-season, um, you know, and obviously done very well. So, again, it, it'd be his fuel um, to see these players and thinking, do you know what, I want a piece of that. And if he can, if he can, you know, play for Wales once, you know, it'll be an amazing achievement. He's doing well. Um, he's got to keep that fire burning inside him to be better every single day to, to, to 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 watch people to see the way they conduct themselves and 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 try and be in any Wales squad in the future will be a huge you know a huge success for the youngster but he's doing well listen he's a great kid um proud of him um and and he's proud to 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 represent his country under 21 level and if he can go that one step further uh, and play for the first team you know he can be really proud well, thank you for joining me, Robbie. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And hopefully in a few weeks' time, maybe we can catch up and talk about everything proud to pitch you're doing. And hopefully you'll be right in your uh, prediction of Brazil winning this tournament. Brilliant. Thanks, mate. Great to speak to you. Cheers, Robbie. So that was Robbie Savage talking to yourself, James. Uh, talked about the initiative, talked about Wales, talked about his son coming through as Manchester United as well. Great interview. Uh, very impressive. What did you take from it? I took from it that he's a very proud father. And his son, of course, is doing extremely well with the under 21s, uh, with Manchester United. And he really came alive, didn't he, Robbie, when he was talking about how well he expects his son to do in his career? Mm. It was very, very impressive. Obviously, really nice bloke, like, like he sounds, and very knowledgeable at football. Obviously, talking about the World Cup and everything that, that's going on. And, you know, it's, it's the kind of uh, you know, interaction that, you know, people at home, this is this, really enjoy. Yeah, it is. It's good to get interviews on the sports zone, isn't it? And it's great to speak to legends of the game as well and hear what they have to say and get them on community radio.
Mm. Talk about legends of the game. Let's talk about Ronaldo and his interview with Piers Morgan uh, that aired last week. Um, seems to have upset everybody at Old Trafford, apart from the cook. He had good words to say about the cup. Let's not get it wrong. But everyone else got a rocket. James, what do you think? Well, I'm led to believe that the cook does an excellent chicken tikka masala. So we had Ronaldo... Uh... <laughs> Wrapped around his little finger by the sounds yeah. of it. Mm. But in terms of everybody else, he's upset them all, hasn't he, Rob? Mm. Uh, Manchester United currently planning on parting ways with the player. And it's such a shame when you look back at everything he did during his first stint at the club. It, and it's the definition of hero to zero, this. Yeah, it's upsetting. It is upsetting because obviously Ronaldo you know, came, wanted to come back. And it seems like he in his eyes Old Trafford and, and Manchester United behind the scenes didn't hasn't changed a lot of fans have said that lots of other people have come out and said that but Ronaldo comes out and says that and the world suddenly loses it, its head um, would he, was he right to come out do you think and say that kind of thing it's difficult isn't it you want footballers to speak their mind how often do we criticise them on this show and, and, and all shows for giving very media responses and not opening up and being so reserved. This is an example of a footballer not doing that and we're criticising him for it. But there is this overwhelming feeling of spoilt child mm. throwing his toys out the pram. And it doesn't feel like he's been treated unfairly, more so that he's just not got his own way. Which is a big problem. Really, because you can you need that? Do you need that kind of person in your squad, regardless of the fact that you are Ronaldo and you're on half a million a week? Is that a factor in what has happened uh, during this period in which you felt, uh, you know, unhappy? Well, absolutely, he's got a massive ego, hasn't he? But as we saw in the summer, Eric Ten Hag doesn't care about egos. He was happy to get rid of Paul Pogba, wasn't he? Despite the Frenchman's talent. As far as Ericton Hogg was concerned, was your attitude's not good. There's no room for you in this dressing room. And he happily got rid of him. So I don't think Ronaldo, just because of his name and his talent, gets any passes from the manager. Ten Hogg's a man who's used to success and he's not going to bow down to anyone. Mm. He does talk about uh, respect and how, obviously, his, uh, his child that, that was ill uh, and he wasn't able to, to, to compete in sort of pre-season. He thought that the club uh, didn't believe the seriousness of it. Um does 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 that have a factor? Obviously, that the club weren't willing to to sort of let him have time uh, to 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 be with his family. Some things are more important than football, Rob. And when your child's ill, that's certainly significantly more important than football. And if the club weren't accommodating to the illness of Ronaldo's child, then that that is an issue. It must be said. I mean, we've given him some stick for how he's treated everything, but the way Manchester United run. It, it's not ideal, is it? Granted, I think we've got a great manager in, in Eric Ten Hag, but if you look at the backroom staff and everybody involved from the board and beyond, it, it, things could be run a lot better. Mm. Also had a pop at Gary Neville, also had a pop at Wayne Mooney as well, two former teammates. Um, it's not good. He's, he's having a go at these you know, greats of Manchester United. Um, I don't think having a pop at Ronaldo has, has, fixes anything that's a, you know, a problem at Old Trafford doesn't fix it at all. And it doesn't particularly play well into his hands when he's doing interviews with Piers Morgan, does it? Mm. I mean, Piers, uh, an excellent journalist in some ways and extremely controversial in others. And it's not particularly endearing to the public when he's the man you're giving your exclusive to. Mm. What next for Ronnie? I don't know, because 
it was Eric Ten Hag by the end of the transfer window was willing to get rid of him, but throughout it, it was Ronaldo who was campaigning to leave, and and nobody wanted him. So I don't know where he goes. Mm. I mean, he still thinks he's a uh, elite player. So does he? You know, going to America, going to Japan. You know, that kind of kind of uh, stops people thinking he is elite. So. What happens? Does he go there or not? Does he take the money? Or is he at a stage of his career where money is more important? I mean, this is a man who kicked off throughout the summer because he wanted to play Champions League football. Mm. So going to the United States off the back of this would be a bit embarrassing for him from my perspective. I don't think that's where he wants to be. He's convinced he's still elite. The stats aren't showing that. I mean, he's the second worst finisher in the league out of any player who's scored. He's putting less shots together, putting less passes together, less crosses. Everything is down. Is that because he's significantly dropped in class or is it because of his mental game? I mean, last year he was still performing well and even though there were calls for him to leave from some fans, he was still one of our better players then. It's very interesting to, to, to think, James, what happens next? You've got a month now, the World Cup is on. Uh, so Manchester United and Ronaldo have a month now to get their heads together and, and plan for the future. Personally, I don't think Ronaldo will play for Manchester United again um, for what he did. We'll have to wait and see. Talk about our other uh, local side, because obviously Man United and Man City have plays at the World Cup. Salford City have had uh, a couple of bad performances. They've lost 3-0 to Peterborough in the FA Cup, and then they lost uh, 4-1 against Carlisle at weekend. Uh, two disappointing results there. Definitely, Rob. Uh, Salford, a team that we're desperate to see in that playoff space. They're not playing like a team that deserves to be in there at the moment. Don't get me wrong, there's still so much time left. And in terms of points, they're not that far off. But right now, they're not looking like a side who's ready to take the step to League One. It's very frustrating, obviously, for everybody who have invested money into the into the club that, you know, they've suddenly started hitting um, sort of bumps in the road. Two big defeats. They faced Bradford uh, this weekend, um, James, and it, it will be, you know, really important uh, that they get a win. As obviously the you know the with the games coming up, they need to start finding form. Yeah, they do, Rob. It's getting frustrating from a fan perspective. You'd like them to turn things around up, 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 I mean, before Christmas, wouldn't you? It's not looking like they're going to at the moment, but you never know. They've got chances, and hopefully, somehow, they'll pull a bit of magic out the bag. Nicky Butt steps into the new role, hasn't he? And hopefully, he can have some influence on the side, but we just don't know. Mm. An interesting point about Ronaldo, going back to that quickly, Rob, yep. is that even when he struggled at club level, he's always pulled it out the bag for his country. Portugal kicking things off against Ghana on Thursday. And do you think he'll produce a big performance or not? Well, he needs to because obviously the world will be watching. And if he starts turning it on for Portugal and, and playing some, some good stuff, then the question is, is it is the problem with Manchester United? Because here I am playing for Portugal um, and playing out my skin and I'm, I'm really struggling at United. So I'm sure he will be motivated to, to do that. And it will be very interesting to see. There's lots of other, obviously, you know, games in the World Cup, lots of other scenarios which might happen. Talking about the, the beer uh, ban as well uh, in, in Kuwait. What do you think the fans are going to think about that? Well, the fans are furious, aren't they? They've all travelled over there and they want a beer. There's two ways to look at this, Rob. I have no issue whatsoever with the Qataris banning alcohol. Mm. Um, it's their country. Uh, it's based off religious values, isn't it? So I don't have an issue with them banning it. What I do have an issue with is them lying to the fans about it because they told them that there was going to be alcohol available. So they've lied to get them over and now they've broken it. 
if they'd just been truthful from the start, I don't think there would have been a problem. But this has been deceitful. And it's just another example of how this whole thing of Qatar getting the World Cup is a disgrace in the first place. But hey, hell, there's nothing we can do right now. Hopefully the fans that are out there can enjoy the game without alcohol and can watch the sport for what it is and enjoy the elite level competition. Yeah, and you've also got to think about Budweiser. They've spent a lot of money, haven't they? Obviously, getting sponsorship, getting their sort of beers in sort of prime positions in the uh, in the World Cup and now we're not able to to sell it to the fans I mean what kind of money they're gonna gonna waste and uh, on there obviously you know people would have uh, bet big on that to obviously build the company and now they're gonna have to go to to Quetta with a minute to go to say to their government look you owe us some money yeah I mean it's gonna be interesting to see how this all plays out because ultimately they've been lighting and I'm not sure how that's gonna go down in court but the amount of money behind FIFA and Qatar and getting this World Cup. I won't fancy taking them on right now. No, you don't want to. You don't obviously. You know, we want to keep politics and, and football separate. But there's a, blur, there's a blurred line here uh, with uh, 40 seconds to go. Yeah, the most certainly is, Rob. It's going to be interesting to see how it all turns out. But in terms of the actual sport itself, there's some big games coming up. Spain, Germany probably being the best one. Yes, very exciting times. We'll be covering it on the Sports Zone on, on Salford City Radio. Uh, James, obviously, Wales and England, both in World Cup action. You know, we're, we're going to be super excited uh, with 10 seconds. You know, how excited are you? Oh, mega excited. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm upset about it being in Qatar. But I just hope that England can give us something to be happy about. Yeah. So big thanks to the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkinson, and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. 